Welcome back. This is the Things Christians Want to Know podcast. I am Nate Johnstone, and here with me is Pastor Paul Anderson. Hello. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I'm doing doing well, too. Good. Um, At the time of this recording, it is a bleak midwinter, even though it should be almost spring. Um, We've got at least three feet of snow still on the ground, and it's very, very cold. Um, Karen talked me into a walk and we went for about a half a block and then our (laughs) eyelids were freezing. So we chose to return. I think that was a wise decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the kids wanted to play in the snow again yesterday and my wife forbade it. She's like, no, it's, it's below zero. We're we're not getting sick. It's flu season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we don't need to do that. So when Dr. Mom is literally a doctor, you do have to obey certain yes. <laughs> certain commands. Yes. Um, so, yeah. But before that, we had gone out and we had started building a snow fort. So it's important to try to find joy, even in, <laughs> even in difficult circumstances, which people from northern snowy climates, I think, know how to do that. Yes, they do. I'm not sure how well people who spent all their lives in California would do was it hard for you when you first moved here because paul you've been here for since 95 do the math that sounds like 24 years yeah that's a while you want to know something crazy Hmm. we were just in california as you know yeah it was cold for us oh yeah it got down to 48 degrees at night that's really cold for them yeah and uh they weren't heating the house and it was colder than what we had what we liked <laughs> that's really funny because uh you know here in minnesota in the winter everybody's got their heat on and they just get used to paying an arm and a leg for heat all year and that's just the way life is and so a mm-hmm. lot of people send set their house thermostat to you know 69 70 75 depending on <laughs> how hot you like it and so sometimes minnesota houses are warmer than other states you know people in seattle they don't like paying money for heat and they seldom have to and so they just let it go down to 63 mm-hmm. or something like that um so it's it's funny. We keep it a little cooler. I'd rather wear more clothes. Yeah. And pay less money. So, But enough about the weather. We, maybe someday we could do a podcast series on weather. I'm not, I'm not sure how that would go. But um, we started light. I'm deciding now that we started this podcast light because we're getting into a fairly heavy topic. Mm-hmm. Um. We're going to be talking for the next few weeks on how to finish strong, Mm -hmm. meaning how to finish your life Mm -hmm. strong. Mm -hmm. And we're not looking at that in a negative way or in a sad way. All of our lives will end. We don't know when that's going to be. So it might be easy to listen to this and think about oh, I'm only 50 years old. This doesn't apply to me yet. But I think this applies to all of us all the time. Because Mm -hmm. honestly, not only do we not know when we're going to go, but we should always be running the race to win. Right? We should always, always be, you know, living as if it was our last day. Living as if Jesus is coming back on Thursday. Mm -hmm. The way some people think. Mm -hmm. You know, and... I don't mean literally this Thursday, um, but some people are like, you know, Jesus is coming back any minute. Yes. Um, and, you know, we don't know. 
It might be. I was just having this conversation with my eight-year-old. When is Jesus coming back? I said, soon. She's like, but soon has already been a really long time. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yes, that's true. But it could happen in your lifetime. And she was really blown away by that the idea that maybe she'll never die. And then she said, I hope it happens before I have kids. She's, we're, we're in the process of teaching all of our kids about family and, and um, our bodies and how we grow and all of that. And so she has learned that there's great pain in childbirth. And now she's very concerned about that. I and we've got a doctor in the house. That and a, and an OBGYN in the house who can support that that's true. Um, yeah. And has had three kids of her own. Uh, I told her she didn't have to worry about the future. That it would all be fine. And so I've been talking all day accidentally about this kind of stuff, about the future, um, end of life things, pain. Uh, and I think th this is an important topic, how to finish strong. And it's one that I think younger people don't pay enough attention to. Many have never even thought about. And I think it's a really important one. Paul here in Timothy, and this is the passage we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young man, mm -hmm. and he's giving him all of this advice. And so this is advice in the Bible was given to a young man. And so I think it doesn't only apply to the older folks. It applies to everyone. Mm -hmm. And the passage we're going to be looking at is 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Tim Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 6. And I'll read uh, 6 through 8. Actually, I'll read 6 through 9, because I think 9 is part of that. Second Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 9. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, please come to me as soon as you can. And I'll stop there for now. Okay. Um, I like the ending there. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Like, this is the end, buddy, okay. son, son in the spirit who I've mentored for years and years now. I'd, I'd like to see you again before I die, is basically what he's saying. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also making it clear that he's not sad, he's not scared, he's not upset. And he gives a lot of reasons for that. So, so Paul, why don't you tell us um, tell us about this passage in Second Timothy. We're going to be going over it just piece by piece over the next few weeks. Kind of more of a Bible study format than we usually do here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to try it out and see how it goes. Yep. So here's my question as we start. Have you ever thought of writing your own obituary? Because we heard it from Paul. Sounds morbid, but it's not. Live with the end in view. One man said that he was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, he founded an organization for insurance brokers and sat on an important committee at the Capitol. Impressive? Well, there's something missing there, Charlie. Most people on their deathbed are not saying, I wish I spent more time at work. Mm -hmm. How about this? I took a month off every summer for vacation with my four kids. I took my special needs daughter to the prom. 
those are values worth living for and dying for. Mm -hmm. So it's a probably a good idea to think toward your end and say, what do I want to say? Or what do I want people to say about me when I'm taking my last breath? Here's Paul's. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Good obituary. Good values. Worth hitting the tape with that in mind. So how about you? Will you be repenting or regretting or rejoicing when you draw your last breath. Paul was lonely. I think that's why he was asking for mm -hmm. Timothy. Yeah, I agree. He was cold. Because he's in prison in Rome, right, at this point? Yes. And he knows Nero's uh, got plans for his head. That's right. Which don't involve his body. Mm -hmm. And so he knows, he, cl he clearly knows what's coming. The time of my death is near. I mean, he flat out says it. Yep. And he, he'd like Timothy with him. And he's been deserted. There have been people that have deserted him, as well as Demas, who has forsaken him. <clears throat> he's abandoned like a no-good criminal and really hoping that Timothy comes. Yet he sounds forth a testimony of triumph. So let me just contrast his two imprisonments. The first was probably around 60 to 63. He was under house arrest, wrote four letters during that time. So... He got a lot accomplished. Mm -hmm. And how would you like being chained to the Apostle Paul for a day and a night? You had soldiers. The word got out to the whole Praetorian Guard, which meant thousands, some of them converted by this stubby Jew who kept talking about some Jesus of Nazareth. So he had a very fruitful two or three years in that first mm -hmm. imprisonment. This is his second, and he knows that this is his last. As you say, his, his uh, death is imminent, and Nero has plans for him. Nero had falsely accused Christians of burning Rome. That was in 64. Now it's probably... Which he did himself. <laughs> yes. Probably 66 to 68, and it's 80. an... In that's 6880. Yes. Probably, uh, we don't know whether Timothy got there. We don't know whether he yeah. made it in time. I like to think he did. Okay. That's a, <laughs> that's a good thought. They were certainly reunited <clears throat> not too long after in heaven. <laughs> that's right. So It's intensely personal. Mm -hmm. It's very emotional. Maybe... The most emotional chapter that I think in any of the epistles. I agree, and I actually wonder, as I was rereading this, I wonder if Paul knew this was going to be something everyone was going to read. Because it does seem like such a personal letter. Both of the Timothys really do, much more than any of the other epistles he wrote. Mm -hmm. But this part especially, i got to wonder if he in his mind, assumed this was going to be a personal letter to yes. his son in the spirit mm -hmm. and not something that some random white dude would be reading 2,000 years later talking into a microphone, which is something he couldn't have fathomed. You know, I just, I just wonder. Um, obviously, God had plans for this from the get-go of yeah. being part of Holy Scripture, but it is, it's so personal and vulnerable 
extremely um, so. vulnerable, weak, but there's no fear here. That's what's really beautiful about this. Mm-hmm. I love, uh, as we look at this passage, we see three different tenses. Mm, yep. I, I was an English major. I like grammar. He says, I am, in verse 6, I am already being poured out. Then he says in verse 7, I have, so that's taken us to the past. And then he says, will, verse 8, that the judge, the righteous judge, will award me. So we're going to look at the present, then we'll move to the past, and then we'll move to the future. So we'll start with verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. So what's what's going on here? The drink offering was, just as it says, an offering, a liquid offering like oil mm-hmm. or wine. wine. Every day they were supposed to dump a certain amount of wine on the table in the t- tabernacle or the temple along with bread. Yes. So the showbread and the wine was given every day. And it's no longer yours. You You sacrifice it. You give it up. And that's a picture of our life being poured out. Paul says, I've, I've, I'm pouring it out. I'm pouring it out like a drink offering. And that describes his whole life from the get-go. In fact, God said, <clears throat> excuse me, to Ananias, who was kind of fearful about going to this person he knew was a Christian killer and uh, praying for him and bringing him through to faith, God said, I will show him how much he must suffer. Paul's life was a life of suffering Mm -hmm. from the get-go, beginning to end. And that's something for us to consider as we're thinking about our end, that life is hard. Life is, marriage is harder than I thought it would be. Karen, Karen agrees. It was tougher. We had to adjust ourselves. We had to make a lot of changes. Life is harder. Like a grandfather said to his grandchildren, I love this quote, use it often. Life would not be so hard if you didn't expect it to be so easy. Mm -hmm. And I love what Joel said at our ARC meeting a few weeks ago. He said, we make life complicated but easy. In fact, it is simple and hard. I tell young adults who are Google-eyed and ready to get married, I'm glad you're looking forward to it. It's going to be harder than you thought. For sure. Otherwise, they come in six months later, no one warned them, they come in and they're kind of dazed and glazed and they're saying hey can you help us out yeah it's it's tough these days in america we we have so much we're we're very soft yes um and there's a there's a sense of entitlement that comes with wealth and leisure tell me about it we have so much leisure time now you know the idea of what do you want to do tonight didn't occur to my grandparents there was no time to do something tonight what are you talking about? Maybe once a week we'd get a chance to do something fun together or whatever, but there's too much to do. They're always working. They get home from their job and they do more work at home to make dinner. When my grandmother um, was told by her mother, 
go get a chicken for dinner. It was very different than when I was told that by my mother. When my mom said, go get a chicken for dinner, I went to the freezer and I got out a package of pre-cut up chicken breasts. <laughs> and that's what we used to make chicken dinner. When my grandmother was told, go get a chicken, she had to go to the chicken pen, chase one down, grab it, kill it, gut it, pluck it, and bring <laughs> it into her mother. And she could do all that by herself by the time she was eight, my daughter's age. Wow. And it's a very different... Nowadays, if you had your kid go kill a chicken and bring it in for dinner, they'd probably arrest you for for trauma to a child or something like that, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's such a different world now that people don't expect life to be suffering. And I think parents try so hard to protect kids from any suffering and any pain. Um, and it really does a disservice because the truth is life is suffering, period. And end of, end of book, Right on. Life is suffering. It simply is. Mm -hmm. And if we accept that's true, um, it, it just got easier. It just got easier to deal with. Yes. When you expect everything to be perfect and then you go into the real world and it's not, that's really tough. And that's why the current generation, the millennials, are so depressed. They were raised with, tr the parents tried to give them as much self esteem as possible. But in actuality, it has the far highest suicide rate of any generation, far highest depression rate of any generation, far highest drug overdose rate of any generation. Because they were not taught that life is suffering yeah. and that life is hard and that you need to work hard. They weren't taught how to persevere because they never had to struggle. <laughs> And I think also times, and this happens really a lot in the church, parents would hide their own struggles from their kids. They would hide arguments and we're having trouble with money right now. We need to tighten the belt. And they would try to hide that kind of stuff, probably out of self-consciousness, maybe, mm -hmm. that things weren't going great or something. But um, I think that was a disservice as well. Paul here does the opposite. He lays it all out. I'm not doing great here, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a cold, dark cell and I'm going to die soon. And I'm really lonely and everybody's abandoned me. Like, he lays it all out there. Yep. Life is suffering. It's tough. Um, and it's... Paul's, Paul's life was had more suffering in it than most of ours will. Um, for Christ. Mm-hmm. Right up to the present. Yeah. Right up to this moment. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't having a good time in prison. And he had already told Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter 2, I think, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're not on a picnic. We're in a war. Mm -hmm. In a war, you expect there will be suffering, there will be casualties, there will be death. And I think that might be why Paul uses that warfare metaphor so often because mm -hmm. he uses it in a lot of his a lot of his letters and i think that's because paul's really really concerned with our mindset mm -hmm. he's concerned with our mind and how we think and how we view life in the world and you view life differently when you're a soldier and you're you're on duty you're on right. active duty right now even if no one's shooting at you you're still you have to be aware and you have to know what's going on in your surroundings. You have to take care of your own kit, your own stuff, your own brothers. Everybody like is depending on you and you're depending on everyone else. And that's a very different life than normal life 
that a lot of people lead. And interestingly, right after this passage in verse 10, he says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. And he's gone, Very to, he's gone to Thessalonica. Yes. And so Demas didn't see himself as a soldier enough. He didn't see his, his life as already having been given to God. And now he follows, he takes orders. That means suffering and it means sacrifice. Of course, it means there's going to be good days and there's going to be fun and there's going to be feasting and all that too. But ultimately, when you're a soldier, you're not in control of your schedule mm-hmm. or your life or your livelihood. And Demas had lost that at some point, yes. Paul said, because, specifically he says, because he loves the things of his life. Very and, sad. And it's, it's I had a juxtaposition. A, as you know, we were just out in California and we spent some time with Phil and Margaret. Phil was in World War II. Mm-hmm. We went to the veterans hospital in long beach they were treating him some dermatology issues very interesting to see how the soldiers treated one another there was a real sense of respect yeah he wore his hat with the iwo jima on the front and people would reach out their hand and they would say thank you Mm -hmm. it gave me goosebumps to see it because there was such respect i sat down next to a guy who was in the Vietnam War, and he saw Phil. He reached out his hand, and he said, "Way to go!" Yeah. So, they know there's casualties. Mm-hmm. And he told me about what happened in in Vietnam. There were uh, fewer deaths, of course, than in World War Two, but a lot of injuries. Uh, he his leg got shot up. He went over a mine, just like uh, Phil did. So uh, it's serious stuff. And that's the first analogy that Paul draws on as we get into this passage. The next verse, Paul gives his um, eulogy. I'm sorry, he gives his obituary. Mm -hmm. And he says, I have, here's what I've done. I fought the good fight. So he starts with that imagery. Yeah, which is really powerful. we're going to have to wrap it up now for this week, and we will we'll jump right in uh, next week into this, into this passage and continue this, this topic, which I think is, is really important. So thanks for being with us, and we will catch you next week. God bless. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.